You know what? We're getting better and better every year and every evolution of technology about putting the right nutrients, the right uh, inputs at the right place for maximum uh, yield. And if you're not looking at your soils and with all the technology available to us to uh, get the biggest bang for your buck, you're probably missing out. Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. More than just a podcast, it's the place for insights and information you can apply immediately to your farming operation for increased success. This episode of Cutting the Curve is brought to you by Ag Explorer, with innovative products that improve fertilizer efficiency, protect yield potential, and reduce stress. Ag Explorer helps growers maximize field potential. Find out how Ag Explorer can help you get more out of your crop at agexplorer.com. And now, here's your host, Damian Mason. Well, greetings and welcome to another fantastic episode of Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. We, you know, we're so much more than just a podcast. It's video, it's online learning, if you will. It's also, it's important information you can take and apply to your farming operation for greater success. Today, we're talking about soil mapping with Matt Swanson. Matt Swanson is from Western Illinois. He's an Extreme Ag affiliate. He's one of the younger guys in our group. He's also a pretty sharp dude. We're just talking about his educational attainment, uh, a degree and a master's degree from Western Illinois University. He's also now doing uh, sort of an online uh, master's program from Auburn University, the great land-grant school from Alabama, in case you didn't know. Anyway, so Matt Swanson's all about soil mapping. In fact, he has a side business in addition to his farming operation where he's doing soil mapping. And we want to tell you all about it, what it is, how it works, why you need it, the results we are seeing. Mr. Swanson, Professor Swanson. (laughs) Not quite. We're working working in that direction, though. Okay, so, um, you know, quick and dirty, when I was a kid, soil sampling, they sent you out there with a soil probe and a little bag, and you you grabbed a soil sample out of this field, and then the next field, and then down the road field, you sent it in. Then we got better about it. We said, for God's sakes, we haven't changed in 50 years. Now we do grid sampling, five-acre grid, two-and-a-half-acre grid, etc. So there's soil sampling, and then those give me some kind of maps. I've seen them from my farm, and uh, I make my operator present me those things. So it shows me like every two and a half acres what my numbers are. What's different between that and soil mapping? Yeah, so typically in the past, um, and I mean, even still currently, a lot of guys talk about, they talked about zone sampling. Now, grid sampling is is kind of a new, I wouldn't say newer thing. I mean, we've been doing it for 20 years plus now probably. Uh, with the advent of the, of the GPS technology. Yeah, grid, grid sampling came about about the same time GPS, where you could then, like, you, when right. you started being told, like, okay, this fertilizer applicator, they just put this device in the machine, and they drive across the field, and it varies what it's spread. I'm like, this is brilliant. You know, huge, huge yeah. technological leap. And that's when we started talking about what's happening in this, you know, let's let's, let's bring it from one field sample now to every five acre or every two and a half acre. That was a pretty big leap. You're saying that now we're taking it to the next level. Yeah, and what we're kind of doing, so grids are are man-made, right? And and like anything, nature doesn't do squares. And unfortunately, basically what we've done is put squares on things. Yep. And we were able to bring what we thought the resolution down, but what we found was the variability within the grid um, was too great. We were seeing variability even down to we've done one-acre grids before, and then you would pull five samples from different parts of that one-acre grid, and they were vastly different in ca- in some cases. So what we did is, okay, well, we need to do zones because that's what our yield maps come in. They come into, you see a a zone. There's a zone of very high yield. Here's a zone of very low yield. And in the past, we had used 
what they call Sergo data, which is basically 1970s. Somebody went out with a board, a grease pencil, and say, I think this is where this soil type is. Yeah. And just drew it in in a lot of cases. You're talking about like when I get a soil survey map and you know, obviously outside of ag, nobody even knows what that is. They say, oh, yeah, I heard it's real clay-like. I'm like, no, there's Blount and Puamo and Genesee yeah. and all these named soil types. You're saying that that was mostly done by hand in the 70s. That's right, uh, with grease pencils and mat boards. And, they, you know, you can walk over some of it, pull a core. Okay, we think we're going to classify this soil and this core and this, and it looks like it covers this area. So we're going to make this whole area this muscatine soil. Yeah. And <laughs> it's, it's interesting, isn't it? When you think about it, because, the, you know, like you said, you got, you buy your acres on a square, let's say you bought an 80 acre chunk of ground, it's a rectangle. Yeah. And then the map will show you that the Blount, Blount uh, silt loam uh, layer goes like this. And you're like, how did we get, because it's like, it's not like it follows a border of a creek. It just says, oh, here's this thing. And it's a squiggly line. And then from there, it blends into Piwamo. Sometimes it's because you went up a hill and then it became, as you said, the Muscatine Blount Loam or whatever the hell it is. Yes. Yeah. Um, you're saying that those might not be accurate? <laughs> no, we found they're, they're you know, at, at the time, this is kind of the best available, right? But when these, when this program was undertaken by the federal government it was never designed to be a precision map you know gps agriculture that wasn't even on the radar right yeah. so it was never designed for that for that application and now we're trying to use it for that application you know, or blend it with other things to to build zones and it's not a very accurate way of doing things so and then we when we went to grids i'm like well here's the problem with grids right so we have different soil types within that grid yeah we're just not getting a good number. So we threw that. Yeah, even, even within a two and a half acre grid, you might still run across three classified soils. So That's right. Types. Absolutely. And, and even into a one acre grid in, in some of the places that we farm. Now you've got places where we farm too that at, in Illinois, where you may have 70 or 80 acres because of the nature of the soil and, and how it was it's, created. It's one soil type. Maybe one or two soil types, right? Yeah. So, and they're similar soil types. Right. So it goes both ways. But what we found when we did the grids and we started applying fertilizer based on grids is that the yield results weren't matching the grids. So that's a problem. Mm -hmm. So what we were trying to do is find, or what I tried to do is find something different. And some of the listeners are probably familiar with, um, gosh, just the various machines or, or things like that, that tried to accomplish the same thing or refine those zones but they did it with a ground contact sensor. And when you touch the ground, there's, you have all kinds of other variables thrown into it, whether that's water, you know, the, the moisture content of the soil at the time. Okay. This makes sense. Any number of other different things. And, and so there's some, some, the concept is solid, but we haven't refined it. So about five years ago, I ran across this company from Saskatchewan, um, that does this with a electromagnetic sensor, uh, basically. And what we're trying to do is we're not only capturing the soil difference, but we're also capturing the water holding capacity or, or the water, um, the conductivity of the soil, basically. Electrical conductivity is what you're measuring. That's the same thing that Varus measures, but in a different way where you've taken, with the SWAT system, you've taken that soil contact aspect out of it. 
Wait, with the squats, I just want to make sure I'm comparing the one to the next. Okay, so you, you had me convinced that uh, all those soil survey maps, I was the only like kid in my high school that like knew about soil survey maps. I, you know, I was all about this agronomy thing. And now you're telling me that the lines might not even be right. Okay, and that's probably true. But then you said that once we realized, why do we need, I guess, what, if they, they look like they're probably good enough, and so why do we need the next level that soil serve that your soil mapping is? And then I want you to re-explain again the difference between how it does it now versus the the old days. Yeah, so you know we went when we went to grids, we just snapped the grids, right? Mm. And then a few guys moved to what they call a varus machine, and varus passes varus. A, basically a coulter through the ground, two coulters, and it sends an electrical charge into the soil to measure how well it conducts water basically okay so and this is and, and, and is that soil specific it's soil specific and it's water holding specific so is soil you know, type specific because a soil type obviously something that's a sandy sandy clay loam will have less water holding capacity and therefore less conduct conductivity or connectivity that's right. connectivity yeah conductivity or connectivity i can never keep okay conductivity yeah okay. so conduction electrical yep. conduction so yep. What we're trying to do with the Varus machine in the past in the SWAT box in in with what we're doing now is we're not necessarily trying to classify this is a muscatine or this is a sable soil or this is a insert soil type here. Yep. What we're doing is breaking the fields into zones that have similar water um, characteristics. You know, they hold similar amounts of water, yep. they shed water, whatever. And so with the SWAT system, which is just an, a sensor that passes an electromagnetic current through the soil and measures it that way instead of having an actual coulter running through the soil, mm -hmm. um, is we're basically building new zones, but instead of building a soil type zone, we're just building a soil, water, and topography, which is where SWAT comes from, soil, water, and topography zone. So I'm really glad you just did that. Soil, water, and topography zone and we're the soil mapping you're doing gives me a soil water and topography zone versus a soil survey map which said your 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 blount blount uh, play clay loam goes over here um yeah. but doesn't it roughly follow the soil types the soil so survey map anyhow so it's a combination of two things you're basically going to have a rough estimation of where the different soil types are and the and the soil types have to be demonstrably different and they wouldn't have been classified differently if they weren't different but some of them are very similar you know um, if you take a muscatine at home and a sable, they, those are different soils. The sable is a little more, has more clay in it. It's not quite as well drained, but as far as productivity, they're very similar. Yeah. So on a SWAT map, you may see a slight difference because of the water holding capacity, but the thing that really makes it work, because essentially what we're trying to do is how can we manage off of this, right? The yeah. SWAT zone, if we can't manage it off of it, it doesn't do us any good. Right. So what we're doing with, with the SWAT box or the SWAT zone system is we're building management zones that we can actually manage off of. And this kind of touches on our variable rate seeding conversation in that, you know, in, in a dry land environment, if I have soils that shed water regularly or they don't hold water, that's an area that we're typically, we're going to plant at a lower population in, in my area on, on the corn side. Whereas if they catch water, they hold water that's an area that we're probably going to plant thicker because it'll have more water available to it. And depending on the growing season, we may have a, 
uh, a stand problem because of standing water in those areas. Yeah. So the benefit of the soil mapping that I'm already hearing is that the surveys that we, that was good stuff, frankly. I mean, compared to what was before that, this is right. sort of like saying, yeah, that still matters. You know, there's these three soil types that are predominant in your 80 acre field, let's say, but what you're really doing is getting past that and saying, but this area over here is not that different just because there's two different soil types over here. And so it helps you farm them better versus trying to do it by soil type is doing it more by what the area is. Yeah. So the, the thing that makes this a better system, the SWAT specifically, is that you've incorporated the topography, the, the topography into the into the equation, right? So everybody, you can have the same soil type, but if it's on top of a hill versus in a gully, it's going to shed water versus catch yeah, water yeah, yeah. relative to, you know, to the, what the standard for that soil type is. Yeah. So what we're, and then, so you see, because of that, you also see nutrient movement. You know, if you have something like nitrogen or sulfur or boron that moves with water, yeah. the areas that catch water are, are typically going to have higher concentrations of those. Areas that shed water are going to have lower concentrations. Sometimes it's completely it's over concentrated in the low area and and completely leached out of the top area. That's so right. um, that the mapping wouldn't help me help wouldn't prevent that. What's the mapping do then? It doesn't prevent it. It just helps you manage around it. I mean, there's no way to prevent it. Now you can say, okay, well, here's our topography map or our lidar data, and we're going to put tile in based on that. That's yep. a way to manage around that. Yeah, but it's still going to have um, similar characteristics, even with tiling. Are we, are we able to vary, um, you know, we start talking about micronutrients like boron and, and whatnot. Are we able to put that only at the, at the area that leaches and not in the low area? I mean, it's getting to where it's tough to be that, that precision. Yes. So the, the equipment we have today is capable of it. Um, it's just a matter of, do you have the equipment one uh -huh. and are you willing to do the work too? Because what we're doing now with those SWAT zones is in the past, we would just pick, you know, kind of based on our experience, well, we're going to pick a good area and a bad area to pull a tissue sample at and compare mm -hmm. and contrast the two, okay, mm -hmm. for our management, it both in season and for the next season. And now with these zones, we're saying, okay, here's a zone five and a zone six and a zone one and a zone 10. And we're going to pull tissue samples from all of those places and see what the difference is. And as long as we have the, the equipment that's capable of doing it, we can variable rate whatever nutrients we need in those zones based on what they're, what we're seeing. Yeah. The soil map, and we said, what it is, why you need it. It kind of talked about how it works, but I want you to get more into how it works. I want you to come and soil map my property in Indiana. Tell me, how do we tell me from the beginning to the end, how we make it happen. First yeah, off, so you say, gonna... pay me. First off, I know how it works. You say, give me a bunch of money. Yeah. So it's, um, Basically, what you would do is you say, I want you to do this field. We're going to go in, and if you have a shape file, which is a precision, a standard precision farming file that has your boundaries, we'll have those, but we don't necessarily need them. We'll drive into the field. There's a sensor mounted on the back of a pickup or a side-by-side -side or a Jeep or anything like that. Yep. It's about four foot long, um, and the sensor is not a cheap piece of equipment, obviously. Um, and basically, you just drive back and forth across the field. And, you know, intuitively you would say, okay, well, you know, the narrower your passes are, the better your data is going to be. What the company would tell you is that they're, they found that the variability kind of evens out at about 80 foot swaths. Okay. 
So we drive about every 80 feet across the field, mm-hmm. go around the waterways if you would prefer, and run the sensor is, and then we send that data to uh, Saskatchewan. They merge it with the LiDAR data in their software because it takes a lot of horsepower to do that, computing horsepower to do that. Mm-hmm. And then we get about 20 copies of the map back and what we do what they call ground truthing. So basically the different variations are we put more emphasis on topography or we put more emphasis yep. on EC or whatever. And it's just ratios. And you sit and we sit with the grower and say, okay, here's five that makes sense to me as the SWAT mapper. You tell me which one of these matches your results in the field the closest. And what we found in this ground truthing phase is you'll see every little high spot, even if it's a foot wide, and you can drive right to it and find it. It's a, it's quite amazing, amazing technology. And it's amazing in my part of Illinois, where you're on the, the flat and black, how much topography is in even some of those flat. Um, so you talk about going out and doing this stuff. Now, how do I use it? Yeah, so what we do is we once we have, once we select the zone map that we use, we're going to go in doing and this stuff i meant soil mapping okay yeah. you do the soil mapping now how do i we use do the, soil mapping? we do the mapping we get the maps back the grower and i would sit down and say okay this map makes the most sense to me based on five years of yield results or however you want to say it and it can be as simple as you know i drive the combine i know in this part of the field it's always really good um we know that we typically don't have a standing water problem but we know that area probably has a lot of water based on the swap map. So that would make sense. Um, and that's kind of a simplified explanation of, of how we're doing the ground truth. Once okay. we have, once we've decided on a map, we're going to say, okay, what's the first application that we're going to vary. Uh, and typically that's going to be where I'm from anyway, a seeding rate type map. And we'll base our fertility prescriptions off of that seeding rate map. So we're already doing this. I mean, all our guys in Extreme Ag will talk about their yield maps that comes on, you know, it's on the combine. Matt, uh, Miles uh, said a year ago when we were recording something, maybe a year and a half ago about technology, he said, I won't even let the combines run if all of the technology is not hooked up. Whereas five, 10 years ago, you're like, who gives a damn? Just get the crops harvested. He said, right. no, the yield maps and all that stuff matters. So if we already have that stuff, how different is this, and then I assume they overlay and we can yeah. utilize both. So here is here is the argument that I would make. So we've used yield maps. I, for a period of time, worked for a, for a Case IH dealer and, and that's what I did. I helped calibrate yield monitors and all of those things. And they are capable of incredible accuracy when they're properly calibrated. Um, the problem being is they're not often done that way. Um, and more so now <laughs> than in the past. Wait, wait they're often, not often done that way. You mean that they actually are, they're, they're spitting out numbers and they're showing you colors, but it's not accurate? Well, it depends on the machine and it depends on the grower. But typically a standard type yield monitor. Now, new, the newer deer machines with the scales, integrated things like that are a little bit different. But the, the style that most people are familiar with is just an impact plate. And typically that needs to be recalibrated every two or three points of moisture in every hybrid change because the grain characteristics are different. And I can tell you with 100% certainty that that does not happen consistently. Um, now, there are some newer systems that are better and the, and the weight system that deer uses is, is certainly better. Um, and I expect to see that adopted once it comes across the industry, once it comes off patent. But um, 
You're supposed to recalibrate for every, you said you're supposed to recalibrate your yield monitor for every, how many points of moisture? Every two to three points of moisture change and every hybrid difference. And that doesn't, and that, that nobody does that. Nobody does that. No. I mean, I, we've done it. I've done it in the past before we changed the system we have now. Um, and it's, but the problem is you go field to field, you may have to recalibrate and, and essentially what deer has done with their new, um, the yield, the scale system is they've automated that process. So that's why it works as well as it does. But even, even if let's say you plant, let's say you have one hybrid on one half of the planter and another hybrid on the other half, you're creating so much grain quality or grain. Um, what's the word I want to use grain or grain uh, property change that it's going to be hard even in that system to keep it up. Exactly. All right, so do we then take the yield map and overlay it with the soil mapping that you're doing, or does it, or is it, do you think it's not accurate enough to matter? So here is what I would say. I do not like using yield mapping to build zones because if you've in the past had an area that was very low yielding and you rely solely on that yield map to build your zones, you can have what turns into kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. This zone has always been low yielding. So it's going to continue to be low yielding because we're now we're going to start managing it because it's low yielding. Yeah. So what I would say is let's build something that's independent of yield mapping, which is what we're doing with the swap box. And then get two or three years and manage it just according to the, to the soil mapping. And then once we get two or three years in, we can say, okay, we have this zone. That's one zone in the swap box maps. But when we look at the yield maps, we've got a couple sub zones that maybe we should break out and treat differently. So I just, I like that idea that maybe what yield maps have allowed us to do is just then go ahead and do what we, what we kind of were prone to do anyhow. Well, this area is always our best area. So we got to go ahead and pump the nutrients to it. And then this area over here sucks. So we're just going to let it go. And in some cases, that's not even accurate. You know, you may have an area that's traditionally high yielding because the, the natural fertility is very, very good. Yeah. And you may actually be hurting yourself by putting extra nutrients on them. Yeah, right, right. So the soil mapping, you think you should use this mapping independent of yield maps? Yes, at least for the first few years until you've con you confirm that those zones are there. So basically what we're doing is instead of taking a results, you know, this is what our results are. So this is what we're going to do going forward. Let's put some science in there and say, okay, here's what the water holding is. Here's what the topography is. Let's look at the fertility based on that. And then we'll manage based on the fertility and the topography, see what our results are. If they match our old yield maps, that's great. I suspect, in, in my experience, that's not always the case, though. Understood. So um, now uh, applying it, we say, okay, we're going to use it. Uh, you're going to use this independent of the yield stuff. And then what's the first year, second year, third year? What, how am I, what do I do? I just change my practices. Uh, yeah, you, so you, you, you sit down with the grower and say, here's what the soil map tells me you should be doing. First off, you're going to have a little bit of historical resistance because they're going to say, no, our yield maps don't agree with this. hundred percent. And one of the things that we can do, and I think, I don't think it's going to be as different as they expect it to be, but it is going to, it should change your management in some ways, unless you just happen to have a soil that has very little variability, but that's, not as common as people think it is. Um, you know, in my neck of the woods, especially on the flat and black, people say, oh, that that's the field's very consistent. Well, I doubt it. I, I highly doubt it. Um, and there's always differences in water and the, it's usually water. 
water holding capacity in my areas is going to be the biggest change. So what we're going to do, like I said, we're going to build those seed zones and to piggyback off our variable rate corn discussion from a few, from a while ago, um, we could say, okay, we've got a zone one, um, which is typically our highest and driest areas. Okay. And our, in a zone 10, which is typically our lowest and wettest areas. Now, depending on where you are in the country, you know, North Dakota zone 10 may be underwater eight years out of 10, right? In my area, that's typically not the way it would go. A zone 10 is going to probably be the area that has the most water. And if we manage that properly, that should be one of our higher yielding areas. So to piggyback off our variable rate corn seeding discussion, our zone 10s are going to be where our highest seeding rates are at in a dryland environment. And our zone ones are going to be where our lowest seeding rates are at. Because the water's there. Because the water's there. That's because right. the water's there. And so you want to have, you you can support more seeds with more water. And um, is variable seeding the big, because we did a discussion about that. And you told me before we hit record that these two would tie in. Do I need soil mapping if I don't variable seed? If I don't vary, if I don't do variable rate seeding, do I need soil mapping? Yes, I think so. And here's why, because you're still, unless you're putting all of your nutrition up front and you're not doing any in-season management, and even then the soil mapping is still going to help you with your getting your nutrition right, even if you're pre-applying it. Now, most of the people that are listening to this podcast are probably not we're going to go out and broadcast 200 and 300 to dap and potash. And we're going to put 200 pounds in hydrosol. Most guys that are, are taking the time to listen to this podcast are probably not those people. Yeah. Even those people could benefit from it if they would be willing to give it a shot. And I think what I would encourage guys is, is most planners nowadays have the ability to run, you know, we can run a prescription on one side of the planner based on our soil mapping and we can do your standard practice on the right side. And then go harvest and then manage them accordingly and then go harvest it and see what the data is. And we're not typically always looking for higher yield, although that's great. Yeah. We're really looking for is higher return on investment. So if we have based on our soil maps, we pull back our seeding rate or pull back our fertility and save you 20 to $50 an acre, that 20 to $50 an acre spins the same as 10 extra bushels does on the other side. Yeah. So what's interesting is because, you know, for my time in, with extreme ag and going through all this great learning and helping all of our followers find this information is that you'd think that we're all about putting more product out there. Hey, you know, we got this company, Agerson sponsors us, Concept Agritech, you know, start going through all the, you know, the Ag Explore, you know, you go through all these wonderful products, Marone Bio, now Pro Farm, et cetera. We got all these products. Extreme ag is pushing product, pushing product, but really what we're trying to do is push precision use, precision and judicious use of the product because what like soil mapping is going to teach me is I'm throwing too much stuff out there. Yeah, uh, you know absolutely. Kelly Garrett talks about it all the time. The holy grail of, of Iowa farming is corn production. The holy grail of corn production in Iowa is throw more nitrogen at it, nitrogen, nitrogen. And what you just said and what we continually say is, yeah, we're all about using products, but use them in proper uh quantities and in proper locations to get maximized you know people like to say the word efficient i think maximize should be a better uh goal right maximize the thing maximize what you got whether you maximize if you have a limited amount of water let's maximize that amount of water let's pull our seeding rate back so we're not growing plants that aren't getting us extra grain for example you know even if you take a product like you were talking about um the accomplished product you know where you're extracting nutrients from last year's residue 
if you have an area that has good grain, it's going to have good residue. You're going to have more extracted nutrients, for example, in that area out of something like that accomplished product and, and the other ones like it. So this soil mapping thing in the water, especially in a non-irrigated environment, but even in an irrigated environment is, is much more important than, than people are giving it credit for, I think. Money. Um, you just told me that what I can do is I can be smarter and more judicious in areas where I've been over applying because of the soil mapping. I can then bump it up in areas where a few more resources or a few more seeds per acre would get me a whole bunch more money. So we want to make money. How much am I spending on soil mapping to even find this data? So our, our average cost right now and it's kind of dependent on where it is because, you know, we cover the entire state of Illinois and parts of Missouri and in Indiana. And really, if if somebody's, um, you know, interested in working with us, I, I don't have a, a border, so to speak, except for the, the transportation costs. But <laughs> right. we charge about $15 an acre. And unless you do some kind of massive landforming project, you know, um, you run a scraper to level stuff out or, or things like that that are more common in the Delta, especially. Um, yeah, that by the way, you're, 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 by the way, dear listener, he's sitting in, he's sitting in Miles Farms office right now down in the Southeast Arkansas. If he was sitting at his desk in Illinois, he never even would have said that. Nobody goes out and scrapes off ground where we're from. <laughs> it's only a thing down in the South. You know that. Yeah. Yeah, so land leveling is definitely a bigger thing in the Delta than it is at home for sure. <laughs> but it, unless right. you do something like that, that map is probably good for 10 years. Okay, so that's the thing. You just said, okay, you can work anywhere. It's a matter of transportation. Well, you're not going to this guy's field every every fourth day. You're going there once. And yeah, we'll go there once or twice and that'll be it. You're going to have the data you need and then it's going to be a matter of of, of applying the applying the findings and applying the data and and uh 15 bucks an acre 15 dollars an acre uh, and then here's the hell of it i don't need to do this every year like you said that that data is not really going to change so if i if i uh amortize this over five years that's three bucks a year yeah uh, not a big deal can i make that back uh i would say in our experience with it especially when tied in with variable rate seeding and as we're taking more products and variable rating them, I I would expect, um, I would say based on our early data, it's a 10X return. Um, and that's probably on the low side, depending on what the year does. Yeah. So it, it's, it makes us money because we reduce our inputs on some acres and it makes us money because we find that there's areas that we could actually be putting more inputs in and getting that you know, the synergies or the exponentials as we talk about. Yeah. Let's say you have a zone one that's a high and dry area and you have a lot of water. Okay. So you fixed the water problem, but that water is still moving nutrients out. Yep. So in that case, you maybe you're applying more nutrients in season to those zone ones because you've got the water, but the nutrients are not there. So now if you put the nutrients there, you've got water, you've got nutrients, you've got drainage. And, you know, those hillsides, I know some of the guys, you know, from Iowa have seen in a wet year, those hillsides may be the best corn you have yeah. or, beans or whatever, because the water gets off of it and you just have to manage it accordingly. Speaking of, if you've been to Kelly Garrett's farm, there's not a field he has that's not a hillside. Trust me, I've <laughs> yeah. never, I've never seen anything that wasn't a hillside. Hey, um, last thing here, Matt Swanson, about soil mapping. What caution do you have? I mean, you told us how it works. You told us why to do it. And you talked about the money. You talked about the potential return. What 
can, can I do something wrong? Is there anything I should, is there a pitfall? Is there anything I should watch out for? Am, is there any mistake you've made or seen? So there's two, there's two things I would say that one, something that is a pitfall or a potential misunderstanding. And the other one is something that we're working on improving. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about the thing we're working on improving first. So SWAT mapping was built essentially, if you want to call it that in Saskatchewan, Western Canada, where you've got fields that are hundreds and hundreds of acres, yeah. right? So what I already knew you're going to go with this in the Prairie provinces, some of these fields that we, that we have that Kevin Matthews farms, in North Carolina, that are like 18 acres with woods edges. They don't experience that in the Prairie provinces. No. And so the issue with that is, um, those guys are not, are not maybe used to managing by the acre. Um, even like some other people in Canada are actually, there's a guy that works for the company that's from, Prince Edward Island, where they do a lot of, you know, high value stuff yeah, potatoes. That, uh, needs to be managed differently. So when you get a zone map, it may have 50 acres in that zone. And if there's anything that's that, you know, the one acre grids taught us is that something like pH can, can vary by really by the foot, but yeah. obviously nobody can afford to do that. So right. one of the things we're working on is breaking those zones up into smaller zones for things like pH and for those guys that have like nutrient management plans or hog manure or something where there's a government thing. Okay. So we're working on that right now. So That's zone map, zone, zone map size, I think is what you're saying was one. Yeah. The size, the size of the zone itself. Basically what we would do is take all of the zone five and instead of being at, let's say it's 50 acres, instead of it being one zone, yeah. you know, if you have a nutrient management plan that says it has to be two and a half, we'll break that zone up into two and a half acre grids essentially to have more samples per zone. So that's the the one thing that we're working on updating basically for use in smaller field sizes and for guys that have NMPs. The thing, the other thing, it's a misunderstanding is guys, when they look at these maps, guys and gals, I guess, when they look at these maps are thinking of them as like a yield map or a yield potential map. And that's not necessarily the case. That's not the way you want to look at it. What you're really looking at is a, is a map of the water holding capacity. Okay. So, or the water, the typical water status, you know, status of that area. So you need to manage them like it's a water holding map and manage accordingly, as opposed to a yield potential map. I think that's a really good way to get, you know, wrap this whole thing up. It's a water holding map. And then the only thing that somebody might say is, well, I don't have any problem with water holding. You know, I've got this field, it's all flat and, you know, all this. And you would say you might have stuff you don't aren't aware of. It's probably not as flat as you think it is in my mm -hmm. experience. Like I've, we've been in some really flat fields that actually have 80 feet of elevation change from one side to the other. Mm -hmm. um, you just don't see it, Yeah. you know, unless you're right on top of the, the highest point. Um, but even with irrigation, you know, if, if you have a swap map and then you have irrigation over the top of that, this is something that, that really makes something like variable rate irrigation matter, you know, or, okay, we have this area that, even with irrigation, it's still going to be dry. So we're still going to adjust our seeding rate accordingly for that dry area. And we have this area over here that with irrigation, because we don't have variable, maybe we don't have variable rate irrigation, it's going to be the wettest part of the field because it holds water pretty well anyway. And then we're putting more water on top of it. So, yeah. And I can see another person that would say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. I don't need, I don't need this soil mapping that Swanson's talking about because I have irrigation. Well, it doesn't just because you're putting water out there doesn't mean that each soil is reacting the same way to the water, right? Again, and, and again, you could have the same soil type and different topography and your nutrient status and your yeah. water status is going to be different. And that has to be managed differently. This is the next evolution 
will it catch on? I mean, hell, grid sampling still not. There's still people that don't soil sample. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've got good friends now today that that do 100, you know, quarter sections, 160 acre fields that pull four samples out of the whole field. So, <laughs> I it's I mean, it's a little disgusting to think about. I think the the thing is that guys like me are going to have to prove that it works one, and I absolutely believe it works one. But then you're going to have to make the management as simple as it can be. Yeah. 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 But I don't want to go back to what you just said. You know, you said I got friends that have 160 acre fields and they pull four samples out of the whole thing and still think they're doing a great job of soil sampling. I'm bothered that you call those people friends. I think that they have no place here at extreme ag and we should just say, if that's who you are, you know what? We don't need you. (laughs) Well, I think in my area, especially a lot of that came from frustration with grid sampling. You know, we go out and pull all of these samples and our yield maps don't match the samples and yeah. we don't, you know, and that's where it comes from. And the reason that is, is because we're not using the right layer as the base layer. That's, that's a real good statement because it may be, they got a little bit pissy because they, they spent all the money on grid sampling and they didn't see any, um, any bump in, in uh, return on profit or, or, you know, yield. And they're like, you know, maybe we're oversampling and I, you can make that, you know, that was their concern, but they were sampling wrong would be your point. Yeah. And, or you see like, okay, well, we did our variable rate map and this year we're heavy in this area. And the next time we do the variable rate map, now we have nothing in that area. You know, it's just, (laughs) it doesn't make any sense. And if you want to learn more about soil mapping, uh, the company that you represent is out of Saskatchewan. What's the name of it? It's they, it's swap maps is, is the name of the product. Swap maps. That means like stands for soil, water, and topography. It's a new way of looking at your fields. And I think this is going to, I, I think it'll catch on, but it's like everything. It's going to be catching on for the, the 5% of the people that really want to be cutting edge. And then we'll see where it goes. So stay tuned. His name is Matt Swanson. He'll keep us posted about this. He's an extreme ag affiliate in Western Illinois. He also is doing soil mapping and he's uh he's a good guy to have on here. Cause he likes to talk about stuff that uh, you can use back in your farming operation. Thanks for being here, Professor Swanson. I appreciate it, Damien, anytime. Till next time, I'm Damien Mason, and this is Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve. Thanks for listening to another edition of Cutting the Curve. For more insights and information that you can apply to your farming operation, visit extremeag.farm. Are your crops stressed out? Ag Explorer has you covered with a full line of products designed to reduce crop stress and improve yields. Check out agexplore.com and start protecting your yields and profits.